Well, good morning uh, to those of you who are here and those of you that are at home. Uh, it is wonderful to be able to fellowship together and to uh, look at God's Word this morning and, uh, and draw closer to Him as we do that. <clears throat> as, uh, as was mentioned, we want to start a series on uh, spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines. And uh, next week, I want to start by talking about Sabbath, about Sabbath rest. And I'm already thinking that it'll be more of a confession than anything else. Because uh, especially uh, when I was uh, at SBC teaching, you would teach all week, you'd mark papers on Saturday, and then often I'd go and speak on Sunday. Uh, so I stand before you as a Sabbath breaker. And uh, so I, I need to confess to someone after, or maybe I'm just doing that now. Uh, but my hope is that as we walk through this uh, together in the coming weeks, that we will be encouraged to, um, to evaluate and make some adjustments and tweak things uh, so that our spiritual lives thrive and grow. Today you might find yourself consumed by your work, by your studies, your family, your involvements in church or in the community. Uh, all of those are good things, of course, but you feel like they're crowding out your life with God. Uh, you yearn for a deeper, richer, more transforming relationship with God, but maybe it seems elusive or even impossible. There's a way to experience God as your deep center, not only in your formal prayers and Bible reading time, but in the midst of your work, your studies, and your exercise and your play. And so, really, that's what we want. Um, there's a way to enjoy God, not only as you sit in quiet contemplation, but as you move about your day. Again, we've said there is no separation between sacred and secular in God's way of thinking of things. Everything is sacred. Uh, so we don't compartmentalize our lives. This is spiritual and this is the rest. You can weave your friendship with Christ into the fabric of everything that you do without leaving your world and becoming a monk. Maybe some of us think that's the only way and uh, that's not really on the, on the table. So you can actually weave your friendship with Christ into every aspect of your day while being immersed in the busyness of life. We all long for something more than the rat race. Rushing through life without ever living, we crave depth and beauty and meaning and truth, and we can enjoy, learn to enjoy God and His presence in the rhythms of our life, in work and in rest, in study and in play, in community and in solitude. Ken Shigematsu, and I bet you I butchered his name, he's Japanese, in his book God in My Everything, and Diane informed me that he also had podcasts and stuff, so God in My Everything, look that up and you can listen to a podcast of his. Uh, he talks about developing a life-giving rhythm, or a rule of life, or a rhythm of practices that empower us to live and grow more like Jesus. And we're going to call it spiritual growth exercises. Uh, discipline sounds so tough. It sounds like being taken into the woodshed. And so we're going to call it spiritual uh, growth exercises. A rule of life supports our friendship with Christ so that we can produce the fruit of His character, 
And so the purpose of a rule of life is not to be harsh or confining, but rather to cultivate fruit. And it serves as a pattern of life that enables us to experience the continual presence of God in our lives. And then it also empowers us to embody His love to those around us. So the purpose of spiritual growth exercises is liberation. Liberation from the stifling slavery of self-interest and fear. And by the way, you probably already know this, there is no magic pill to make you a mature Christ follower. I think if there was, we'd all be lining up at the pharmacy to buy that particular pill. It doesn't exist. There is no microwave food that you can eat to make you a mature believer overnight. And I recognize that our, our ordinary method of dealing with ingrained sin is to launch a frontal attack. Yes, we rely on willpower and determination. And whether that, is, whether that issue is anger or fear or bitterness or pride or addictions, we determine never to do it again. We struggle against it. We fight. We pray. And yet often... The struggle seems in vain, and we find ourselves again morally corrupt or bankrupt and discouraged. And maybe a cycle of dealing with the same thing. And, and I recognize this morning that spiritual growth is primarily God's work. Now, that doesn't mean you get to fold your hands and sit back and say, okay, zap me. Uh, when I say it's primarily God's work, it, it, it means that He does it, but... He also gives us a role to play in our own transformation. See, Jesus knocks on the door, he invites, he never obligates. You find that in Scripture, that God doesn't impose. He, he offers, he invites. Uh, Dallas Willard said, Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Notice, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. There's nothing wrong with making an effort, there is something wrong with trying to earn your salvation or to earn something. There's a, there's a difference. So God has given us uh, spiritual growth exercises as a means of receiving His grace. And uh, they allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can do His transforming work in us. So there's a part that we play in opening ourselves up and inviting His transformative work in us. So no simple mechanical formula for spiritual growth in fact, attempting too many spiritual practices all at once likely will have the effect of overwhelming us and keeping our relationship with Jesus shallow. I found, by the way, I, uh, for years I read through the Bible every year. And, you know, don't stand and clap. That doesn't mean uh, that I've managed something spectacular. And I read, I read the chronological Bible uh, so that it would be chronological. I think I did that for seven years. But I also realized at a certain point, I was reading to make sure that I got the reading of the day that I didn't fall behind. So now I'm reading to fulfill the obligation of the day. Well, I've missed it entirely. Uh, so, so the point here isn't to pile on all kinds of stuff as if that's the secret that will fix things. Spiritual disciplines are not an end in themselves. We don't read the Bible and pray so that we can check that off of our list. By the way, I'm a six on the Enneagram, so I do checklists. 
I, I, I need a list. I would like it if Diane would say, do these six things and I'll be happy with you. Perfect. It's clear. Give me the list. And I know some of you men are probably inside doing like this. I just realized, as you were mentioning, Diane, uh, the Redicops celebrating, I just realized I've just reached that point where I've spent over half of my life married. When I do the math, look at that. Okay, don't clap, it's okay. <laughs> uh, when we turn spiritual disciplines into another set of soul-killing laws, they breathe death. If it's just... And by the way, the monks in the monastery... You may look at that from the outside, look through the window and think that that's a, a regimented life that's just cruel and brutal and difficult, and it actually wasn't meant to be that at all. And we don't have time to unpack that this morning, but it wasn't that. Psalm 16, verse 11, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. So I want to talk about Daniel a little bit this morning. And uh, Jacia did me a favor and already got us started uh, talking about Daniel. Other than Jesus in Scripture, obviously, there's probably no other character in Scripture that I admire more than Daniel. And that's not just today. That's been for me. That's been for years and years. I don't know of anyone in Scripture apart from God that I admire more than Daniel. You see, he's... He's likely the first person in the Bible that we know of that consciously lived by rule of faith or a rule of life. He was a Hebrew exile or a slave uh, who had been deported to Babylon. And as you read through the book of Daniel, you find that he faces multiple government or regime changes. Now, that might not be a big thing to you, but we go from Democrat to liberal to conservative, etc., with, well, I was going to say nary a hiccup, but that's probably not true. But, but the consequences aren't huge. Back in Daniel's day, when there was a government change, the modus operandi was to lop off the heads of the higher-up people of the previous government so that they would not be a threat to you moving forward. So if you were in a position of power in a previous government when that government was overthrown, you likely lost your head. Now here's the interesting thing. You read through Daniel, he goes through three or four changes and he never loses his head. That's not all. You don't find him wallowing in a dungeon for the rest of his life either. You find him ascended over and over and over to the highest level of authority in the new government. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. And yet, here's Daniel. Rather than being carried off to sea by a cultural wave of Babylon, he remains faithful to God. See, that's the interesting thing. Daniel is torn out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, brought to a pagan country, Babylon, and he doesn't lose his faith, he remains faithful to God. And I say, how? How does Daniel's relationship to God not only survive but thrive in such hostile circumstances? Now, we need to do application maybe at the end, but we need to do it here too. We're not living in that situation. But you know what? 
A litmus test of your Christianity or your faith isn't when everything is going great. It's probably better to do that evaluation when things aren't going so good. And I have seen, I won't go into detail, but I've seen some believers behave poorly because of COVID. Pushes them over the edge. How am I responding to this crisis, to this situation? Am I still behaving like a Christian? Am I a good citizen? Right? Daniel goes into a very difficult situation, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we also have the stories of them, and remember, remember they told the king, we will not bow to your image, and God can save us, and even if he doesn't, we won't. In other words, our integrity is not for sale. And you all know the rest of that story. So you have this story of people, Jewish slaves, exiles in Babylon, who stand up and they maintain their faith. What's the answer to the question? I would say that Daniel had a plan to sustain and grow his life with God. He lived by a rule that guided and shaped his decisions, his actions, and his response in every circumstance. Notice in the passage that Bonnie read in chapter 6, the whole story of the lion's den, that Daniel's rule of life included praying three times. And uh, you have the passage in front of you. I'm going to turn around so that I can read it instead of opening my Bible. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. In other words, he earned a position of power because of his integrity. And then it says, At this the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. You know why they wanted to do that? Because they all lacked integrity. And if there's one thing that people don't have, that don't have integrity don't like is somebody that does. Because it spoils the game. It spoils everything. So they want to catch him. And then it says they could not find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. See, if he had been corrupt, they could accuse him of that. If he had been, although they were the ones that were corrupt, and if he had been negligent and done shoddy workmanship, they could accuse him of that. They couldn't accuse him of anything. And then notice when they make this scheme, this plan, that they know, they make it knowing that it's a trap for Daniel. That's what it is. And the king, I'm sorry, but he's just not wise enough to understand that this is a trap set up and he falls into it and makes the decree and this is what happens now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before he did not change his routine he did not change his behavior he did not change his rule of life he did not change anything even though there was a serious threat on the horizon and then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And we know the rest of the story. Daniel risks it. He doesn't deviate from his routine. He continues to be faithful. Stephen Machia, and again I've butchered the name no doubt, said this, spiritual robustness 
is a long obedience in the same direction. Spiritual robustness is a long obedience in the same direction, forged in the daily and tempered in the ordinary. See, it's all those little things that add up. It's the little things. People often make the mistake of doing too much too quickly. Oh, I'm going to fix, I'm going to fix everything. A change generally doesn't happen overnight. Small habits can make a big difference. Whatever we do repeatedly, even if it's simple, has the power to change us. The daily habit of spending time with God shapes us even if it is brief. brief. A sustainable rule of life must be built slowly, tested, and visited regularly. In other words, you don't build something, a, a rule of life or a pattern in your life, and that's going to be for the next 100 years. It may need to be tweaked as your life changes. For instance, don't go home now and say, tomorrow I'm going to get up at 4 a.m., I'm going to spend an hour praying and reading my Bible, then I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to run 10K, I'm going to come back and eat a nutritious breakfast, then I'm going to go to work, I'll come home at 6 o'clock, I'll eat supper with my family, I'll help my daughter with her homework, I'll do my emails, I'll ra- relax in front of the TV and watch one period of hockey, and then I'm going to start reading War and Peace. <laughs> I know, some of you don't know what War and Peace is. It's anyway a famous novel, okay, literature. That there would be a recipe for burnout. It's unsustainable. One of my fellow profs, and I won't name him, those of you that, uh, that, that know the college and everything know exactly who I'm referring to, I walked into his office one day and I said, you know what, brother? I want to emulate you in everything, but I can't handle the workload that you handle from day to day. I, I've, I've got to have more rest. I have to have more give in my system. A rule of life isn't primarily about adding more things to your life. In fact, it might be more about pruning things that are just not helpful. Pruning non-essentials that just kind of sap out God's power in your life. So it would be more about focusing and gathering the energy that you previously burned in other things and placing them where they belong. Walter Adams said, look after the roots and the fruits will look after themselves. Uh, you notice the, chellis, the trellis here, uh, the bottom, I don't know if you can read that bottom word. Uh, this is from God in my everything, uh, a diagram of a trellis of different spiritual exercises that can uh, sustain the vine that produces the fruit in our life. You need to craft a rule of life that works for you that fits your temperament, your background, your passion, your interests, and something that will work from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. And that makes God real to you in the innermost part of your being. A baseball player that expects to excel in the game without adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous than a believer who hopes to act in Christ-like manner without appropriate exercise in godly living. And neither one will have much success. 
So the Bible gives us different spiritual uh, exercises or practices that we can use that will, in cooperation with grace, continue to produce godliness in our lives and growth. Things like solitude and prayer and fasting and celebration and Bible reading, etc. And in the weeks to come, we'll unpack a bunch of those and look at them. So, a rule of life. Are you consumed by the busyness of your life? And feeling like God is being crowded out? Do you long for a deeper, richer, more transforming friendship with God? Do you long for something more than the rat race of rushing through life without even living? You can weave your friendship with Christ into the fabric of everything you do by developing a rule of life with spiritual growth exercises. It might look different than mine. It needs to work for you. It can't be a mechanical checklist or a legalistic recipe, but rather a pursuit of God, of an intimate relationship with God through the practice of spiritual growth exercises. If this is news for you, or you find that your pursuit of spiritual disciplines has stagnated or run out of gas, why don't you decide to make some changes this week? Make some small changes. Don't attempt a massive overhaul don't decide to read through the entire New Testament this afternoon. It's actually probably more beneficial to read a few verses and meditate on them to read chapters and chapters. So don't add hours and hours of praying and reading, but do make uh, some adjustments that are sustainable and life-giving. So in the coming weeks, we are going to explore uh, different spiritual growth exercises or spiritual disciplines with the purpose of encouraging our individual and corporate pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. And I'm going to ask Mo, uh, Pastor Mo to come up, and uh, we sometimes banter back and forth a little bit. Uh, we're going to do that this morning. Um, this is ad-lib. We hope to be able to think on our feet. Um, suggestions that came to mind um, this morning? Well, as you were as you were talking about that, I uh, I thought back to the beginning of this year, and uh, in in January, um, kind of the middle of January, I I tried. Actually, it was probably getting yeah the beginning of January. I started to try something a little bit different in my own walk with with God and trying to find something that would work. And um, I started I started doing something that was really simple. I um, I took my my iPad and I have a you know a pen that I can use to write on it and um, and so I was I wrote out just a, a few sentences each day I wanted to try doing that and I was doing really well um, <laughs> and then everything completely blew up in the month of March and for me I, I found myself um, feeling guilty immediately that things were kind of Kind of falling apart in what what was happening, and I realized that that I had to come up with a different rhythm in order to do that. And quite honestly, it's taken probably till now to get to a place where I'm starting to find a rhythm again in my in my devotional life and in the things that are happening because everything just kind of went went crazy for a while. And uh, and I think at times we it's I connected with what you said about it being really easy for us to be ruled by guilt or or the feeling that I need to get this done, and just realizing that, 
that actually it's about approaching God because we love him and we, we care for him that we're willing to do that. I, I, th- I think there are also occasionally deserts in our lives. Hmm. And, and I'm comforted by that uh, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Uh, sometimes I feel like I, w- I walk through, there's, there's periods in my life where I, I'm walking through a bit of a dry desert. And, and uh, I, I, I remind myself that actually God hasn't left. It's like that footprints, right? Uh, he's still there. Um, whether I feel, and emotions are so unreliable, whether I feel close to him in those moments or not, he is still there. And... Uh, so I'm, I'm comforted, and, and things get better uh, as I move along. Yeah, it's an, it's, an interesting, um, it's an interesting walk and an interesting balance because in some ways uh, I can't be ruled by guilt, and yet guilt is, is put there to help me remember that actually this is something that I, I want to do. Um, and when I'm, when I'm kind of not doing those things, at the same time I'm... I also need to respond to that and say, okay, I, I need to find something that we can do. I also really like that comment, uh, I think it was Dallas Willard's quote, that, that talked about the opposite of grace. Of grace is not opposed to effort, yeah. but to gaining, yeah. earning. Earning, yeah. And, and I, I think that so often we think of spiritual disciplines, or like we're calling them uh, spiritual growth exercises, um, we think of those things as being things that um, uh, that we're we're doing to try and earn God's approval, and we're actually it, it's actually like we can't do that. Yeah. Like there's no way that we can earn God's approval at all. Um, all that we can do is is put in the effort to to draw near to Him, and trusting that as we do that, He draws near to us. So, so what I do is actually a demonstration of gratitude, right? Yeah. So yeah. what I do is actually a demonstration of gratitude for what he's given me freely. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. A couple of weeks from now, I'll be speaking about worship. Yep. And that's, what it's, that's the starting point, right? Like it's when we worship God that he actually, um, th- that, that our lives begin to line up with what he wants. Uh, so one let's, of the things... Let's give them some homework. You, some homework? Yeah, yeah like... Let's, let's give some homework. What do you think? Okay, well, one of the things that we um, well, try something. I think that's the, the okay. first thing. But if, like, sometimes it takes discipline and other things to help you gain discipline in, in your spiritual life. Okay. And so here's my, here's my challenge. Pick a number, a number of kilometers or miles or feet. I don't know, whatever you want. Okay that you are going to walk, ride your bike, or run this week. Okay. And, and so steps, steps at work count. Okay, so steps. Yeah. You can yeah. do that. Yeah. Whatever so it is. So whatever the measurement is, pick something and... And find some discipline to try and accomplish that, right? So uh, I'll, uh, Karen and I have been doing a little bit of walking. It's not going to be like, I'm, I'm not going to impress you with my, the amount of walking that I'm going to do. Um, uh, I think I'm going to try to do um, 10 miles a week of walking. Okay, so Karen and I go probably four times a week. We've been doing this week. Um, we do about two miles. It's going to be a bit of a challenge, um, but I'm going to try. I'm okay. going to try and do that. Okay. 
Uh, that's my goal. So if someone else wants to join that goal, uh, but listen, make sure that you consult with your doctor prior to getting involved in any strenuous activity. Yeah. <laughs> like Ernie, I noticed that you rode your bike to Mike's house just, just down the street the other day, so that was I good. His motorbike, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I went back and forth four times because of errands, and that's why. <laughs> I'm just bugging you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, perfect. Let's, uh, awesome. let's pray. Oh, oh, I'm supposed to add something here. Um, well, you, you know, yeah, they, you're, you're right. Um, what I've done a couple of times consciously this week, I decided to have one hamburger instead of two. This is at home. You may laugh. You think that's a big deal. But at this point in life where, you know, I've got an hourglass figure at a bad hour, um, that's actually an important level of discipline for me. Uh, because I don't get the physical exercise that I used to get. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep... We did go for a bike ride all the way to the pool and who knows where else. Dennis and Marlene can verify this because we stopped at their house. Um, so we did get some exercise yesterday. Uh, so exercise, eating healthy. And you know what? Actually, here's another thing. Maybe in your prayer life, incorporate a time of listening. I find that I talk to God, I get my, my grocery list, and I, I pray for this person, this person, and I've got to consciously carve out time where I'm actually just listening. And that might feel awkward for a bit. Uh, maybe you're not used to that, but at some point you'll also find that uh, there's rich rewards as God speaks to your heart and your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we know that we need to... Um, not compartmentalize our lives in a way that we separate sacred and secular, but that we need to uh, make sure that you're part of every aspect of our life. And we know that your desire is to bless us and prosper us and to make us healthy uh, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, in every way. And so we, uh, we ask that you would enable us to, uh, to work to that end. And as we look at uh, spiritual growth exercises, we pray that um, we will be able to look back and say, wow, we, uh, we've made some good steps in the right direction. Thank you for uh, our time together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.